What you've just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Maybe, maybe we'll go for two. It depends. We're oh, goodness. This is going to be, I think, I have a feeling that I shouldn't have shown my hand and texted you what I thought, because I think you've been preparing this entire time. All right. Welcome to this week's episode of Say What You Mean podcast. I'm your host, Jeff. And I'm the other host, Jake. What's up, dude? I just got done taking the Foreign Service Officer right. exam. I was going to ask you, how did that go? It was tough. It's a it's a tough exam made more difficult by its insane time restrictions. Like at the end, so it's split into four sections. Yeah. And um, at at the end you have this written. They they save the the written component to the very end after you've already taken oh, three gosh. sections of sixty plus answer multiple choice questions. Yeah. So I've already answered one hundred and eighty multiple choice questions by the time I get to this written section, and they give you tw- twenty five minutes to an- to formulate and write. Uh-huh. A response to a in-depth question that you don't see until the second you get until it. the second you get oh it. So you've got to start really brainstorming quickly and, and write quickly, and then they put a, a character restriction on you. A character restriction? Oh, it's mm-hmm. typed. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, did you? Uh, it was for a few hours, right? Yeah. So I started at promptly at eleven thirty, and I what I texted you, I was done a little after two. Yeah. So it was it was long. Jeez. Thankfully, I got there early because I had quite the uh, quite the experience parking in downtown Portland. Oh god, is that a study book? Yeah, that's my Foreign Service officer. Oh wow. Exam. Okay. So any so just to to uh, give context, um, I've been studying since graduation. Well, really before graduation right. to get into the State Department as a Foreign Service officer. What that means is I would work. Um, in a diplomatic role in consulates um, around the world on behalf of the United States. Right. That's kind of my, um, it's very difficult, very tough to get into, very selective, um, but I decided to give it a shot. Mm-hmm. There was a testing window. Um, I tested today, and I'll find out what I, you know, how it is. So I need to prepare to r- record this podcast remotely. What's that? I need to prepare to record this podcast remotely. Yes. <laughs> we'll see. That's uh, it. It's very selective. Only 20% of uh, test takers even get through the first round of testing. Dude, you'll crush it. I know it. Yeah, we'll um, so you texted me that you had a story about your adventure today. It was in downtown Portland? Downtown Portland, okay, yeah. On, um, so it's at, the Pier- it's at the Pearson Testing Center, which is on Broadway and Morrison. I parked on Alder. And um, I drive a big F-150. It's an older rendition. It's a piece of crap. Thankfully, it's a piece of crap because as you'll get more into the story, you'll figure out why I'm thankful it's a piece of crap today more than anything. So anyway, so I I had to go 10 stories up this parking Mm -hmm. structure, which is very tight. To find parking? To find parking. I was on on the 10th floor. I finally find parking in a compact park parking spot, which is my truck. It's not (laughs) compact. So it was hard enough to get in. And reading the foreign, reading what the rules are, what you can bring, 
it said like they were very strict. They mm-hmm. said, you know, no, don't bring any wallets, no oh, any weird. anything. Like you cannot bring anything into their testing okay. center according to their website. Right. So I was like, okay, I got to leave my wallet mm-hmm. and everything. Only bring your ID. Okay. So I I was like, well, I need to bring leave my wallet and everything and I have my my testing um regimen before any test I take, uh-huh. I drink soda, like caffeine, an hour, strict, exactly an hour before I'm supposed to test. So I pull in, in my parking spot, like at 1030, right. I take a swig of my vanilla Coke. It will in the mean, and I didn't realize this, but I set my keys down on my, um, on my bench seat. Okay. I get out. I start going down the stairs. I'm halfway <sighs> towards the floor when I realize, oh crap, my wallet is still in my back back pocket i don't know what the, i don't know what they're what they're going to do if i show right. up with my wallet because they said they're not responsible for any items that they have to watch mm-hmm. so i'm like okay i need to put my my wallet back in right. my tr- back in my truck so i run back up the stairs get there and realized my keys are sitting on my bench i know because i've done this before yeah. if i have a knife on me i can <laughs> jam it and wiggle do you like, usually have a knife on you Usually, but okay. I didn't bring a knife this time because right. you you're not supposed to have anything, anything right. let alone a, like a weapon. <laughs> so I'm jiggling, trying to, I'm doing everything, going through my toolbox, which is devoid of everything but tools, trying to use like an empty. You have a toolbox in the back of your truck? Yeah. Okay. But it doesn't have any any tools in it other than a shovel and then a whole bunch of just like empty water bottles and oil cans and, okay. and stuff. So I'm turning to everything I can, looking super sketchy, trying to break into my own truck. Right. So eventually I'm like, well, shit, I'm just going to give up to it. I can still get to there without, um, I can still get, I can still get to the testing spot. I can figure out what to do with my wallet when I get there. Hopefully they have like a locker or something or the good Samaritan will agree to watch it. Right. I get down there and I'm like, well, I'm reading this sign on the elevator because I decided to take the elevator this time instead of running up and down the stairs again. Good call. That this is there's a sign that it's probably up all year, but it said this is a high season for vehicle break in. So now it's got me super oh, freaked out. No. So I get down there and I I get to the bottom. And there's a Rite Aid, right out in front okay. of where I, 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 I I'm about. like so okay, I can probably buy something in there to you know to jiggle my lock open. You're there early, right? I did get there early, okay. thankfully, but you're supposed to get there a half hour early uh-huh. to do their paperwork. Okay. So it's like 1035, okay. 1040 right now. And I'm like, well, screw it. I don't have time. Okay. So I get halfway to down Broadway. Wait, you didn't go to Walgreens? No, not at the beginning. Okay, okay. So I, I then I get halfway there and I realized, shit, I need to... I need to figure out my key situation so i turn back around and run and run all the way back down alder which is like two blocks i'm like two blocks away at this point run sprint all the way back down get into the right aid looking super sketchy right sweaty and (laughs) trying to find like something sharp so i'm walking up down the aisles really quickly like the dude's like looking at me and sharp so i end up buying a package of screwdrivers okay um flathead screwdriver and a phillips head it was like five bucks Uh so i go through and i pay for it well, now I got to figure. You had your wallet. Yeah. Well, good. <laughs> yes, that ended up being great. But now I got to figure out how to get a package of screwdrivers into this parking garage without looking super sketchy. Like, what is a dude doing oh, with, <laughs> with yeah. screwdrivers yeah. going into a parking garage? Sweaty, and m- sweaty midday. Right. 
so I I hide them in my back. I leave them in their package and I put okay, it. Okay, the fact that you're hiding them looks even. Sketchy. Well, I put them in my back. I put them in my back pocket. No, I didn't. Oh, okay. I thought that would have looked worse. Way worse. So okay. I leave them in the package, but like I um, face the screwdrivers towards me, so all they can see is the back of the package. And I put them in my back okay. pocket. Yeah. And I ride the elevator up. I'm like squeezed up against the wall, so like no one can see my back. <laughs> I'm thinking everybody's everybody's out. Everybody's watching me everybody's now. Everybody's watching you. So I get there and like in I'm jiggling my. Um, I, I get there, I rip open the package, and I, I shove the screwdriver in there, and I pop the lock, and thankfully I got to my keys and made it there right at, right at about 11. Wow. But I, that was might have been the sketchiest thing I think I've so ever you got, done. You popped it with, you know how, because you've done mm-hmm. it before. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Which makes me realize that um, I should never leave anything valuable in my truck if I can get there. Yeah, with and your keys were sitting right there on the bench. With a Visible? Cheap, Visible, yeah, oh. they were. They, I, I, I couldn't leave it. So I had to go try. <laughs> that sounds stressful. It was very stressful. And then to go down instead of take a three, and then to sit down immediately and take a three-hour exam. Right. Was it all on the computer? Mm-hmm. And they don't. Ugh. And it's super, like it's superficial. When you go in there, they um they pat you down to make sure you're not taking anything that you could cheat with. Uh-huh. You had um, there's no breaks. They don't let you out of the room. Wow. So I had to sit there for three for three hours. Right. Having to take a piss the entire time. Any water or Not nothing? allowed anything. Well, I hope you crushed it. I hope so, too. Yeah, <laughs> that, was I mean, a, uh, that was quite the experience. You put a bunch of time into it, so... Yeah. I'm sure you did all right. I mean, you got to pass, obviously. Is it what's the is there like a range of having to pass or it's like a, a score? It's like a quantitative score, but they do their own calculations. So okay. they just tell you if you pass or fail. Right. And then, and then, if even if I get through this, there's two more subsequent rounds of examinations uh, that Whoa. I have to get through just to get on the list to be hired from the State Department. Right. So it's a long shot. It's going to take a Herculean effort, but um, doing my best. And is it so they'll put you anywhere that they decide? No. So you get to list out. So they give you ava- all available t- s- slots within your cone. So there's five different cones that you can pick. Okay. Like political like career tracks okay and they call them cones right and i picked a political cone not knowing at the time that that's the most um that's the most uh competitive Uh career track and so they if you make it through and you get selected and you get you go onto their list which they call the a100 list that's your ranking Mm -hmm. and you get hired off that list and then if you if you go through you go through your training you get to that. You get to this point. You get you write down of the spots that are open. Your top ten ranked. What your what are ten spots that you would like to go, and then rank those ten on a hierarchical list. Okay. Um, based on preference. Okay. So you're guaranteed to get one of those ten. Oh, okay. Okay. Unless there's a spot that they absolutely have to have filled, and yeah. you can draw the short straw. Ooh. And end up like in Abu Dhabi or something. So. <laughs> well. But you don't do that part yet. That's later, no, right? I've okay. got to get through two more. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Sounds intense. Um, well, good luck, dude. Thank you. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> so I put something down that I wanted to talk to you about. Sure. Um, so I'm 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 so interested in things that people get into and kind of why they get into them. Um, I've told you some stories about some people, you know, in my family that do some ritualistic things um, yeah. because of some some things. I don't know how how they heard of these things or 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 what kind of pushed them to get into these things. But uh, I'm just gonna bust your balls a little bit. Sure. Okay. So uh, you got a new golden retriever. I, I do. His name's Tucker. He's three and a half months. And you created an Instagram for him. 
Yes. <laughs> I don't want to throw my girlfriend under the bus. Um, oh, did Kylie do it? Kylie, well, I'm just, I'm just. Kylie created it, but I was like, hey, you know, what would be really cool is Tucker had an Instagram, <laughs> and then the next day Tucker has an Instagram. <laughs> and what's his uh, tag? Uh, at Sir Tuck the Golden Pup. At Sir Tuck the Golden Pup. Yes. Yes, I yes. love that. Um, so, what's your thought process behind that? I'm gonna get. I'm gonna what, get. What do you mean? Like plenty what? of hate, I'm sure, because there's family members that we have who have <laughs> Instagrams for their dogs. Sure. And I get like, hey, follow my dog, and I'm like, uh. So I used to. Yeah. <laughs> I used to. Uh, I used to make fun of those people too. Okay. And. Then I got Tucker, who is just literally the like the cutest dog okay. I've ever seen. I have a Pomeranian. Yes, and Dexter is... I don't is care what anyone says. Pomeranians are the cutest dogs of all time. Dexter's awesome. He has no Instagram. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> Should Tucker have an Instagram? Right. Probably not. Oh, okay, okay. But I like sharing him with the world. Right, right. Whether the world wants to see him or not. Right. <laughs> so I was thinking about it, and like maybe that's I don't know because I've never created a dog Instagram. Mm-hmm. But I I wonder if like maybe not specifically you, but other people, their thought process is like, dude, this dog is amazing. I'm gonna take so many pictures of this dog, and maybe to avoid, you know, bombarding their friends and family with pictures of their dog, they can post pictures of their dog on like a a designated area you mm-hmm. know what i mean for yeah. other dog f- instagrams and friends to follow i mean we have a ton of dog instagrams following our mm-hmm. our instagram um for the podcast which is great let's <laughs> <laughs> alienate our fan base no 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 i think it's great <laughs> that like that's the community building i'm just sure for me it's like where what is the mindset um other i mean maybe it is simply just your dog is cute but for me, I just I'm everything has to mean more than mm-hmm. that to me. Um, so that's I guess if I were to create an Instagram, it would be uh, for my dog. It would be because, OK, here's a ton of pictures of my dog. I don't want to bombard everyone with them. So I'm going to set kind of this area for me to kind of intermingle and, you know, sure. Make Instagram friends with other dogs. Yeah, I don't know. If I really had a huge, deep thought process um, towards creating it. I just. Yeah, we were just taking a ton of pictures of him, and he is it cute. was just like, "Where, you know, where can where can these go?" Right, and um, I think okay, we just, that's I think, another I reason. Just, I think we just got really caught up with it. This is our first. We don't have any kids. We've right, been together right. for a long time, for sure. And um, this is just a. I think we were we're probably a little too invested right. in the dog no, right no, now. It's good. But um, I mean, he's going to the vet like every day. Oh yeah. Yeah, we're we're very um, we're scared of everything. Yes. Everything's gonna kill him. You guys are new parents. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I'm sure our friend Matt will love me calling you parents of a dog. Oh yeah, he'll if he's if he listens to this episode, he'll turn it off. Right, yeah. Right about nope. You know, ten seconds ago, he, yep. yeah, he's no longer listening. Right. At this point in the podcast, and he got brought up. So yeah. hi Matt. Um, and so yeah, maybe that's another reason is just to kind of collect photos of your dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like we'll, it. we'll go with that. Yeah, we'll go with that. I mean, he could be our mascot. He's already up and running for. Uh, say what you mean. Yeah, which is awesome. Yeah, he is. He barks what he means. He b- does bark what he means. Um, and that usually means he wants outside. Yeah, yeah, I gotta get on that. He's got that bell though. Is he using that? He's using the bell. Okay, but he, that dog. If I he, love that. If he could live outside, he would. Oh, he's I just bet. a very out. He's for just sure. a very like. 
outdoor dog. Right. He just always wants to be outside. Like he'll just lay out there and stare at uh-huh. stuff. He doesn't have to be doing anything. For he sure. just wants to be outside. Okay, so. that reminds me of my other dog, Harrison, who's kind of a mutt. He's a terrier mix of some kind. He looks like um, like a Brillo pad or something you'd scrub a barbecue with. Mm-hmm. Um, but he he just loves being outside and he'll just sit there and just stare off and i mean we're on a ton of land out here so mm-hmm. he'll just watch the horses with the other dogs and just just stare off and do and dexter you know he's kind of a he's kind of a pretty boy he likes being on someone's lap or yeah. being with everybody but i will say you know pomeranians usually have long flowy hair we always cut it super short because when it, when he does get to go outside, we do take him camping. Mm-hmm. He's in the mud. He loves oh. to swim, and with that long hair, it would just be a mess. So maybe I should yeah. start. Instagram and th- we're gonna run into that with Tucker because right now with his oh, puppy fur, yep. it's super short, but he's gonna get that long, really kind of feathery um, hair. So that's gonna be a mess because I want to use him as a duck dog. Oh, and, okay. Um, you hunt ducks? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, been avid waterfowl hunter my whole life. I've had Chesapeake's labs in the past um but this is my first golden never owned and subsequently oh, your family like my family oh, okay. my, i grew up with having retrievers oh, never a golden retriever right and this was kind of i wanted a lab kylie wanted a golden retriever we settled on a golden retriever okay but um wait say that again i said i wanted a lab <laughs> kylie wanted a golden retriever we settled on a golden compromise, retriever. Compromise. it was a, definitely a compromise yeah I, I came out on top on that for sure um but i want i mean it's it's in their breed they um they were originally bred in England to be waterfowl dogs. Oh wow, okay. But it has not been they had that breed has not been used that mm-hmm. way, especially in America for a for long sure. time. So it's in most of the lines it's kind of been bred out as right. an instinct. Yeah. But it can still be coaxed out. Um co- the quarterback for the e- for the Eagles, um, Carson Wentz, mm-hmm. uh, he actually has two goldens that he duck hunts with. Oh, okay. So I mean it, it is possible mm-hmm. with a lot of training and a lot of effort. You're gonna do that? I'm trying. Yeah. I've been working with him. I've been working with him with wings, um, and it's just trying to get him not gun shy right now. Uh, working with loud, loud sounds okay. when he's not expecting them because sure. he's very skittish. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, anything that he doesn't if he doesn't expect a loud sound, he mm-hmm. jumps. Mm-hmm. So just kind of starting in a low volume, you know, clapping when he's not paying attention, or if I'm in the kitchen and he's in the other room, I'll bang a pan, oh, okay. and just kind of just you know every once in a while, just starting just starting small, working sure. working up. Interesting. Have you looked up like different? training methods yeah okay um i mean where i work in a sporting goods store everybody has their own um you know their own way they've trained dogs oh, I'm sure. and yeah. so trying to um find a line between that mm-hmm. i'm trying not to go to the extreme side which mm-hmm. is just you know take them to the gun range and get them used to it right off the bat okay versus like taking it really you know run and take it really slow and mm-hmm. i think i'm erring more i'm skewing more towards the very cautious side yeah, yeah because yeah. once a dog is is gun shy it's almost impossible to break oh, to get them used to the loud sounds yeah. so just trying to take it really slow okay. at the moment. I didn't know you were planning to do that. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That'll be fun. Yeah, it will be. It'll be a great bonding experience. For sure. Yeah. Plus, so I'm not, I don't duck hunt. I never hunted in my life. So the goal is for him to go and retrieve. Yep. Okay. Retrieve the down birds. Okay. Yeah. It's very helpful, especially where we hunt. Uh, there's a lot of tall grass around the edges of the pond. Mm-hmm. So if, if, uh, if a duck, you know, a, a you know a, a duck that's been shot lands mm-hmm. in the tall grass. It can be very difficult to find without a without a dog with oh, a great nose. Okay. So it it really helps make uh, really helps you uh, with your retrieval rate because uh-huh. I I there's nothing I hate more um, than loot than losing. You have um, lost ducks. I have. Oh, I mean, okay. it's just kind of a it's just 
unfo- it's an unfortunate right, but this aspect. Will help this cut that this out. helps cut that out. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't happen a ton. I do my best to you know find every wounded bird that I, I knock down. Yeah. Um, I, I do a lot of like kind of self conservation stuff. For example, I, I don't target I don't target hen hen ducks, yeah, the yeah, female yeah, yeah. ducks, yeah, yeah. and just in just do I, you know just little things you can you right. can try to do well, to help. And do your in, part. in my research in hunting. Not, I've just been reading up on hunting lately. Sure. Not that I'll ever do it, but that's one thing that I, I keep coming across is that they're some of the largest conservationists and land protectors as hunters, you mm-hmm. know, because they're trying to protect not only their hobby, but a lot of times like their means of food and stuff. Yeah. And also I think there's in in guys who are avid hunters, mm-hmm. um, this is this is not just to waterfowlers, this can be to hunters of right. all, all game. There's there is a profound respect for the animals. Absolutely, I know. I, I um, you know, I, I, I almost look at ducks like in a re- like in a, re- a real reverent way. Yeah. And um, so I mean, th- on top of already just wanting to preserve the resource for future generations yeah. to to enjoy. You know, Mike. Mm-hmm. You know, Mike. My, my kids eventually like if they, if they wanted to get into hunting because I know that's how I got started. My dad started taking me when I was five years old. Like I want to share that with with for future sure. generations and. We need to do all we can to make sure that resource is preserved. Yeah. My brother hunts ducks. That's what you're saying. He yeah. also like loves. He loves photography. Loves taking pictures, and a lot of pictures are of ducks. So I I think there is that little. You know, you're appreciate. Yeah, your your brother. He took. Uh, he had his camera at graduation. Mm-hmm, he took mm-hmm. some great photos. Yeah. yeah, he's really talented. Yeah, he. I, I Jen and I were talking a lot recently about how he needs to kind of. I think he should get more into that. Cause he should. He's great at it. He has an eye for it. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he's been hunting ducks. You know, we never grew up hunting at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but he uh, he dated a girl who whose dad hunted and got him into hunting, and he's been doing it ever since. He loves it. Yeah, that's, uh, that's cool. My best friend Jesse, he hunts ducks as well too. Oh, really? Yeah, that's so. awesome. Well, if your brother's <laughs> ever up in Vancouver and wants to, go oh, on a he'd duck love hunt, to. Yeah, give him give him my number. Yeah, he'd I'd love to. Love that'd be fun. Yeah, that'd be fun. I you don't. Get, you'd have to tag along. Dude, I'd love to just right. come and hang out. <laughs> That'd be great. I'll take some pictures. That'd be fun. I'll bring I'll bring the lapel mics and record a <laughs> podcast. <laughs> that'd be a great episode. Yeah, dude, that'd be so fun. Um, awesome. Okay, so we didn't get to discuss this last episode. Um, so last week. So what I want what I wanted to do was um, we talked a little bit about my minor, mm-hmm. and we didn't get to discuss yours. So um, your minor is in political science. Correct. Okay. Yes. So um, my question. I have a question, but I kind of already know the answer. Um, you've always been interested in, in politics and political science? Yeah, long before I even went into college, the politics mm-hmm. has always been a an area of interest for mine. Just U.S. government. Okay. Yeah, in, in general. But now it, um, I always really like in, enjoyed domestic politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really, once I got into WSU, it really switched – I still have a fascination and love for for you know government, mm-hmm. um, but also like um, comparing the United States in its governmental systems yeah. to other um, types of government abroad. But then, but really, it's my 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 first love right now in political science is international relations. Right, that's my main. Okay, and so focus. that is that. W- I mean, you selected politics, the politic cone mm-hmm. for the foreign service officer. Mm-hmm. Um, so you asked me how. I thought um, English kind of influenced my analysis of history and and kind of looking at the relationship. So how do you think um, political science kind of influences your analysis of history? 
It's a very good question. I think. Um, well, you asked it last week. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's yes, an amazing. It's question. a great question. Um, yeah, how I would an- how I would answer that, off of just kind of off the top of my head, would be that I think you start to look at it because lo- most a lot of political science, most of political science, really, um, is looking at how institutions. Um, are refl- a reflection of, of you know human behavior, mm-hmm. but then also influence human behavior at the okay. same time. Right. And <clears throat> you have, um, and I think when you look at, when you try to incorporate history with political science, is that you start to really see the um, the broad recurring themes with government and how um, humans have, you know, um, structured their institutions over time okay. and how that's also changed and how that's affected um, affected how people relate with their government, how people view their government, mm-hmm. um, how people um, change those institutions, become act, you know, become actors and change those institutions from within. And right. I think seeing that as a historical process mm-hmm. over time, changing, you know, from, um, you know, small state societies to mm-hmm. big nation states, to a glo- more of a global community now and studying just, I guess, over time too, you know, how nation states have interacted with each other over right. time. Like, how is that, is there any, is there, is there any linkages? Is there any commonalities throughout eras or is, you know, do you have to look at each era kind of in a, you know, in and of itself? Okay. Um, so do you, so I was wondering, uh, because, I think looking at the states and the institutions mm-hmm. and the, uh, the very, I, I don't want to say rigid, but I could say rigid, you know, political science aspect of history. Um, you've said, and it was one of the, one of the best compliments I've ever received was you, you said something about um, my strength in um, social history. Mm-hmm. So, where political science and politics might be my weakness, I think that I kind of stre- I have a strength in social history. Do you? Do you think, or do you? Or for you, is there? Is it hard to kind of connect the the bo- the two of them, the social aspect with because you're talking about you know the states and the institutions, mm-hmm. um, and obviously there are effects on the social history. Oh, definitely. Do you think it makes it easier or harder to kind of connect those two? For me, it's harder. Okay. Because in political science, there's three uh, levels of analysis, mm-hmm. and you have the structural level, which is the interstate, okay, like the um the interstate level. Okay. You have the second level of analysis, which is like uh, the the state level, the uh-huh. nation state level, and then you have the individual mm-hmm. um, level of analysis, which is well, as it, it's implied in its name, is right. the um you know the individual. Okay. So. The first level of analysis, and I mostly study most of my studies as usually looking at the second or third level oh, of analysis. Okay, okay. So there are political scientists right. who look at that individual level, okay, okay. and but it's mostly from a psychological standpoint. Oh, interesting. So, and I've taken a few classes on uh, political psychology, right? And it when it's very hard to reconcile that with yeah. with sociology. Right. They're very, very different yeah. in terms of how they see human behavior For and what sure. causes human Absolutely. behavior. I think in our discussions, um, you know, we, we kind of run into that, you know, over the last three years, whenever we're discussing um, politics or social issues, mm-hmm. we, we both run into like, oh, okay, I'm always coming from that social aspect. Yeah. And they kind of like, 
there's almost like an impasse to where right. we, yeah we can't really um can't come we can't get ourselves to the same conclusions right. necessarily we're not fighting no no, but no we're God, just no. we're both of us are just kind of like well there's definitely um almost like an inherent block For that sure. keeps us from really having the exact same view which is good yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's good to, to challenge each other when it comes definitely to, when it comes to that um so i i took it's so interesting because i hadn't taken any political science was never interested in in politics until i mean especially like focusing on politics um until wsuv and and switching to to history as my major i think you know politics and political science is a huge part of you have to have an understand mm-hmm. and an understand an understanding to to analyze history um but like i i said in uh, last week you know I was very independent in high school and like did was kind of anti-establishment and, you know, didn't want to be a part of team sports and just wanted to skate and just wanted to play music and just kind of, uh, you know, so I had this attitude of anti-government, not necessarily anti-government, but you, you know, you've seen this, uh, cause we've talked about it, but, but people having the ab- attitude that their vote doesn't matter yeah. and that voting doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, because I had thought that way, I I, I decided, you know, I'm go- I want to take a, uh, a lower level poli sci class to kind of get a better understanding of the institutions, how they work, yeah. um, how they check and balance each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I I feel like I'm a huge proponent of voting and, and participating in government and local government, yeah. um, especially from that social aspect. Sure. Like if you want to do something, mm-hmm. then you have to participate. Yeah, I mean, you be, you become the actor within you. You become an actor within the institution, right? And when you rise and you you advocate for your own interests yeah. or your group's interests, yep. And then you rise to the top of that institution. You create that, and you create your own institution, mm-hmm. and then that also then and but then there's always going to be challenges to that institution yeah. from within from actors also seeking their own self interests. Right. So yeah, I mean, you can. There is ways you can kind of combine. That's yeah. you can definitely combine yeah, yeah, yeah. the political science with. I mean, there is like social. There are. Um, um, I'm try, I I don't want to. Anyway, there is a way. There okay, is a yeah, way. Yeah. I'm, try, I'm I'm trying to say I'm stumbling over my words here, but no worries. Um, so I think this might be a good point to kind of. Um, one thing that you and I wanted to do with this podcast was. Um, it's it's frustrating because I was thinking about this 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 morning um, while we were talking about you coming over and planning and stuff. Um, I don't want to use the term hot button issues, but I think that I'm going to because that's how people look at certain things. Sure. Um, and and one thing that you and I wanted to discuss today was um, public education. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that that might be considered a hot button hot button issue. I think. Um, education at different points throughout U.S. history has been a hot button issue, a point of contention um, within within the um, within so- within our society. Right, and I think right now, as much as ever, mm-hmm. um, is definitely very contentious in terms of what is the role of government. Yeah, within the institution of public education, I feel like that's kind of the question about a lot of areas. Yeah, you know what? How involved do we want them? Um, I, I've seen a lot more people identifying as either independent or um, 
Libertarian? Libertarian. Yeah. yeah. Oh, everybody's libertarian. Now. Yeah. <laughs> you know Except they I mean? don't really understand what the definition <laughs> right. of libertarian is. Right. So um, I, I will say, so for me, I grew up uh, not participating participating in politics um or even really understanding you know much of it but i would say that i grew up in a very liberal household if that's how you want to classify it my parents both <laughs> still wear tie-dye every day so uh that's dedication oh yeah you know my mom's such a hippie i love her to <laughs> death but she's a hippie um and you know even with with a lot of things um i mean even with uh religion or mm-hmm. or politics um oh, she, oh, she was very hands-off like you decide what your path is um you do the research and figure out where you want to go with those things and um i've it's been a struggle especially with politics and 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 government and history to navigate through that yeah but um that's why i'm thankful for friends like you who you grew up i mean registered republican right I I grew up in a very conservative household. Right. I wouldn't say very con- well. I, these days, this days that that has a connotation. That has a weight. That that's definitely For weighted to say sure. very conservative is very weighted. Um, it my family. Well, there's definitely been an ideological shift in my like within my family dynamic. Within the family. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Especially lately, from after, you after the current de- after oh, the current right. election, yeah, yes, for me, for my dad, for my mom, oh, okay, there's okay. definitely much more divide oh, than there used to be, right? And I think a lot of it has to do with me going me going to school, a liberal um, school, very liberal school. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm a snowflake now, right? Um, but I did grow up in a very like it was strictly down ballot voting Republican, mm-hmm. um, Catholic. Um, oh, okay, I was I was raised Catholic. Oh, okay. Went to Catholic church throughout high school. Confirmed Catholic. Um, wasn't until I got out of high school that I st- stopped, you know, practicing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, so yeah, it's much much more st- structured. This is what you're going to believe. We're okay. not going to tell you what you're going to believe, but this is how we believe, and we kind of ex- right. <laughs> kind of expect you to follow that. Right. That's so interesting. But anyway, so I was going to say, like, I appreciate that about our friendship because it's it's very different. For me, um, and like we've said over and over, we're we're challenging each other um, on because you know sometimes I can be anti-establishment, I can be you know um, kind of anti-government, just more focused on the people and the social aspects. And you kind of always remind me, like, no, like, dude, we need these things, <laughs> <laughs> which which is very which is very funny because I thought at one point in my life i thought of myself as a libertarian Mm, mm -hmm. i wanted as minimal government as possible i thought government was the root of all evil and um if humans have left up to their own devices will you know ultimately do what's best kind of the adam smith model of economics and just the role of government as you know laissez-faire as minimal government as Mm -hmm. possible um let humans you know through their you know through their own selfishness will actually do what's best Mm -hmm. for themselves which is also in turn best for society yeah but i think that you know people are flawed and people are corrupt so i think in in those institutions you know i think that when you have those those cases it kind of pushes people away and kind of makes them um 
anti-establishment. Oh, uh, definitely. And I mean, you can get it. We, could, we, you and I could get into a whole uh, Hobbes versus Rousseau oh, debate yeah. right you here. You always do, and I always <laughs> end up some somehow back to that fundamental you debate. Do. Um, so uh, a buddy of mine, Jeff, he sent me a video um, and asked me what my thoughts were. It, uh, the video was uh, it featured a comedian, Dave Smith. Uh, Dave Smith, right? Yeah, he's yeah. based in New York. Um, he's a radio personality and a political commentator. And the title of the video was uh, Public Education is Public Brainwashing. And so Jeff asked me, you know, what I thought about the video and more specifically what I thought about it um, historically. So we had a conversation about it. Um, uh, I will say that in the video, um, kind of, did you... I know that you took notes and you you watched the video because I sent yeah, it to you I did. and I wanted to know what your thoughts were so that that could be the topic of today. Sure. Um, did you take any notes of kind of what he mentioned? I wasn't sure because I did and I can kind of go over those. Um, I remember uh, okay. pretty clearly okay. what he, his main points were, right. but if you've got stuff written down, yeah. I'll just chime in. I'll just supplement. I just have kind of five kind of big ideas kind of in the beginning. Um he, he says that England had no public schools in the highest literate, but they had also had the highest literacy rate in the 19th century. And in the early 1800s, the Prussian Empire had soldiers and citizens who wouldn't sacrifice themselves for the state. In and, the early 1800s? Yeah. Is that what he's saying? Yeah. Okay. And that as a solution um, to, to get the citizens of Prussia to kind of follow and submit to the state, they instituted public education. And then he says that, uh, you know, Horace Mann introduces that public education system in the United States for the same reasons. Uh, he implies that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Dave Smith also suggests that the system is used to brainwash children. And it's how and why students in college suffer and fall for indoctrination in college today. And, yeah, I think he uses, like, you know, just kids screaming about nothing they understand. They just right. feel like they need to be mad about something or right. they need um, – they don't know how to formulate their own arguments because they've never been taught how to formulate their own arguments because the state has basically social engineered them to be um, brainless cogs in the wheel of the nation. Mm-hmm. Um basically to sacrifice their own education, their own thought processes, their own ideology themselves. In the case of Prussia, this is his argument, uh-huh. not mine. I actually disagree with him, but we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, you know, for the, for the betterment of the betterment of the nation, right. Right. As the whole, um, the, you know, the, basically the, the roots of nationalism, I mm-hmm. think is where he was kind of going, yeah. trying to go historically. Cause then he ties, um, he's like Prussia, which is, you know, now Germany, that's where, you know, Hitler, all right. of this came from, right? Yeah, he so he's trying. That. He's trying to. He was trying to draw that parallel, which is historically not a very, very close. It's that's a difficult line to to draw. Yeah, like linearly, like it's you can't really get. You got to make a couple diversions oh, to get sure. to get to there. To um, Hitler, <laughs> yeah. From from the from the early Prussian. Um, well, not even like the prior to German unification, which mm-hmm. happened in the eighteen seventies. Um you have a completely different German society prior right. to unification. It's just not even really uh, comparable. Uh, there's a world war in there somewhere. <laughs> there's an, yeah, there's that world war one that had <laughs> yeah. a huge, um, you know, what were your initial thoughts without, without taking any notes, kind of this idea that the public education system is public brainwashing. 
I see. So my first reaction was that I don't. I, I'm like, well, I can nitpick the history stuff later. for sure. Um, what is his broader point, mm-hmm. and does it have weight? Right. And I think it does. Obviously, it can be used. Yeah. For social engineering. Right. We've there has been instances like in Hitler's Germany, right, or Stalin's Russia, right. Mao's China, where there has been social engineering through institutions to try to get to the force an ideology, foster an ideology, foster behavior, um, create absolute loyalty to the nation. Is that prevalent in the United States? Mm -hmm. Has that been the the ultimate goal of public education in the United States? I think he points to Horace Mann and saying the roots of American public education shows that that is kind of the underlying goal in American public education, to which I push back on a little bit. Because... Yes, there is, especially within social within the social studies aspect of public education. Yeah, there um, early on, early when social studies first started to become implemented in public education, they wanted to foster civic yep. responsibility. I they wanted to bring that up. foster you know civic um, you know, loyalty Absolutely. to the. They wanted to foster loyalty to the nation, mm-hmm. and they did that with um, you know George Washington never wanted you know. Didn't, never lied, and that he brings that, and up. he brings that, and, and he does bring that up, and that was that was a good point right. of his. Where I kind of cannot, I can't go that far is that I think public education still serves a really good purpose. I don't yeah. think that it's um, necessarily a nefarious thing. Yes, it can be used nefariously, sure. but I don't think it is being used nefariously in the United States, right. because I, and I think it's very important because you want to have some sort of unifying um, aspect right. to our education system. Yes. You, you don't want one region teaching one thing about history yes. and another region teaching completely something different. Which is how it is now. Which is how it is now. Right. You've got like Texas, which is like, we're only going to teach creationism. And you've got, you know, like Massachusetts, we're only going to teach evolu- you know, evolution. Right. And there's, there's no like, um, there's no talking about, you know, we com- we we're completely ignoring certain sections based mm-hmm. on political ideology mm-hmm. based on political ideology and i think having a public education system that is ran th- you know that it starts federally right. can kind of regulate that message making yes. sure that it, it is correct information that's being taught that we're t- we are teaching multiple we are teaching multiple sides so you don't end up with these basically these kind of madrasas <laughs> that are regional mm-hmm. to serve regional political ends right I will say that when I first saw this, and this is this is so, this is interesting because when I first saw this video, um, I was almost like uh, offended. Like, how could he? How could he say that? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think that way. But then, I mean, as we talked about last week, I also didn't succeed in that public education system, and I didn't, I didn't finish that public education system. Um, but I did at a point want to go into the public education system yeah always kind of assuming that i would be a difference um not only individually for students but also like broadly for education and history um and english um so i was initially just offended like uh, uh, he's talking about me you know but he he for me i don't think i fit into that um one thing that jeff and i discussed was uh my friend jeff was that you know, he. We talked about am I am I different because I didn't finish, and because I worked before going to college, and I work in a very blue collar job. Mm-hmm. I think for me, 
the emphasis is being challenged. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't get offended when being challenged. So when I came to college, um, this is kind of where we drew that, that parallel is, well, because I didn't go to school, finish high school. And because I worked, you know, in these blue collar industries where you're constantly busting balls, um, you know, giving each other a hard time. And I do it very much with my friends and then going to college and then, and then having someone say, well, maybe you're wrong in that thinking. Um, instead of, instead of being offended and mad about it, it, it kind of pushed me to look into it, but you're very much that same way. And you went to public education mm-hmm. and you went to Clark and then you went to WSUV. Um, and you are always open to being challenged in the same way that I am. I didn't used to be. Oh, really? No, I was very, very close-minded. Interesting. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I was I took my break between um, my first attempt at Clark and my second, more successful attempt at Clark uh-huh. that I started reading. Um, I started re- I read his name's Greg Gutfeld, uh-huh. and he's a he's a Fox News host. Yeah. Um, on the Five and has his own show on the weekends. But he used to have a show called Red Eye, and mm-hmm. it was all about challenging phony outrage Mm -hmm. and in basically asking yourself is that something you're really mad about or do you feel like you should be mad about that yeah and making sure that you're not being hypocritical always trying to always be cognizant of objectivity Uh and i i read his book called the joy of hate it's one of the best books i've ever read and it's literally was life-changing how old is that book that came out in probably 2011 i would recommend reading it yeah I'll have, to, I'll have to read f- that. I feel like he is sold out. Yeah. Oh, that's what you were saying. Um, which is just kills me inside. Right. Because he's not a, he's not staying true to what he used to preach. Right. And what he used to criticize the past administration about. Uh-huh. He's now finding ways to uh, justify right. the same things that this is current he, administration is, he, is doing. Is he not to get too far into this, but is he? Do you think he's a proponent of that that outrage culture? And that, and that being angry about things that maybe you're really not that angry about? No. Okay. I, I don't okay. think he's a proponent of okay. it. No, he, f- okay. he fights against it. And he's okay. still trying to fight against it uh-huh. while maintaining some sort of, like, he, anyway, um, he's going out of his way to try to um, justify the actions of, of President Trump's supporters. Mm-hmm. While not main like while not maintaining the principles that he used to, to define and call out liberals for the same type of phony oh, outrage, okay. he's not holding his side to the same standard that he holds okay. the left to. Right. That he rightfully held the left to, and their phony out- yeah, like yeah, a yeah. lot of their phony outrage. Absolutely. Um, but is not is now not holding his his side accountable for, for the theirs, yeah. which is really frustrating. Right. Okay. So, what did you want to say about that? Um, brainwashing and that public the public education and brainwashing well i kind of touched on it okay already i, th- I think um, i mean what about I, like historically because i think that you you had some some research and some points that you wanted to talk about yeah he brings up some a lot of the historical context to kind of back his point and where we stand today yeah so i had to watch this twice because the first time i was picking out historical accuracies and then kind of missed his main his major points. right so i wanted to make sure just because he's has he uses historical evidence inaccurately. Yeah. Doesn't mean that his broader point is this isn't necessarily in itself. Right. So that, uh, I'm going to let you finish, but I, I was thinking about this point specifically. Okay. Um, 
And I think that we, or, or maybe just I, take what we take issue with is the misrepresentation or narrowed analysis to show how it's brainwashing. Mm-hmm. So he's not, he's maybe not giving the entire historical context and maybe just vaguely covering it to kind of, I mean, you and I talk about just like even, even headlines, just kind of boom, hitting the, 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 the broad points just to be like, see, see how they're connected. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's kind of where you and I, have, or at least me, where I have issues. No, I, I had the same issue too, because, um, it sounds so good. Right. 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 It sounds so good and it all makes sense mm-hmm. until you start to really nitpick it. Mm-hmm. And then the, when you start nitpicking, this thread just starts to unravel For even sure. more. Um, like I said, I just to kind of conclude my point, I think that public education in the wrong hands, in the wrong government's hands, can be used as, as an inst- yeah, as an instrument absolutely. for nefarious purposes yeah. to social engineer certain behaviors. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that's happening in the United States. Mm-hmm. I think th- it's very difficult with open democracies for yeah. that to happen, especially with how much um, how much turnover there is in terms of administration. We mm-hmm. have. Um, I, I just I don't I don't f- my personal feelings going through public education knowing how curriculum is constructed taking yeah. you know classes on that finishing my um my teaching endorsement take you know my mom being a teacher right I just don't believe I just I, I just forgot about that I just don't see it my my I come from a family of educators right uh, my grandpa was a professor and yes. a high school teacher and it just doesn't. Um, I just don't see it. For sure. I don't see it. Not that it means that it's not happening. Right. You know, the deep state. Mm-hmm. But. Um, the deep I state. Just, yeah. <laughs> the, the deep state. We love the deep state. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but just, just to kind of. Um, I found it hard uh, to follow his point originally because he makes the, the point that Burton never had a public education system, mm-hmm. yet still rose to be the most. Um, affluent society right um and also one of the most powerful societies and empires mm-hmm. this world human history has ever seen and he's talking about the 19th century in 19th century right um britain had boarding schools mm-hmm. beginning in the 16th century that were all that were all male mm-hmm. and they were very selective right they were very they were meant for the um kind of the the aristocracy's mm-hmm. children mm-hmm. um it wasn't until 18 but he kind of leaves it as England never adopted its own public education system. Yeah. So therefore, like, so how could they become so powerful but maintain their power through basically Mm -hmm. World War II? By Mm -hmm. the time at the end of World War II is when they kind of defer to the United States, and the United States become the world kind of the world hegemon. Yeah. Um. So how do you have in 1868 when they when they passed the uh, the British Public Schools Act in 18 in 1868? I'm just repeating numbers here. Mm -hmm. Um. Like, how do they maintain that power th- before and after? Is my is my question. Right. If they're having a complete separation, so how are they getting people to um, enlist in the military and fight at such a, mm-hmm. um, you know, such a, um, you know, ferocity right. and sacrificing themselves for the for the for the kingdom? If there wasn't a public school system beforehand. And there was, but there was one in 1868. But yet they're still, you know, signing up to die by the millions in World sure. War One and World War Two. Well, wait, so what are you saying there? Because what he was arguing was that that education system is what pushed them into signing up and fighting. But they were already they were fight they were fighting in the British Navy before there was a right. public education okay. system. Okay. Yeah, 
I thought that's what you're saying. Okay. So I just I, I I there's they've had it on they there was British soldiers enlisting prior prior and right. after right. the public education system really became like institutionalized in the in the British right. in Great Britain. Um my second point here is that um is with with is with Prussia mm-hmm. in this notion that they couldn't find people to um fight on the battlefields they were as he said pissing down their legs and running away mm-hmm. that's that's not necessarily true under Frederick the 1st and under Frederick the 3rd yeah. they had compuls one they had compulsory um after the French beat the Prussians mm-hmm. in 1806 in a in some Franco-Prussian war that you know one of the many yeah. dynasties <laughs> like every once in a while you know the French king got his um well actually this would be after the French monarchy fell anyway um anytime someone got their you know their panties in a wad right. they wouldn't um you would fight a war a small little war about it well Prussia lost a bunch of land in 1806 mm-hmm. to France and <clears throat> they after that they instituted a like a basically a, they instituted a draft mm-hmm. and Prior to that, they so they had compulsory, but they also had a large. The, still, even with the compulsory military service, they okay. still had the majority of their, um, of of their enlisted ranks. Yeah, were um, were volunteers. They had oh, a very. Okay. They still had a very strong volunteer right. fighting force. Volunteering, both before eight the eighteen hundreds and throughout the seventeen hundreds. Uh-huh. Um, and. Britain was already a power long before the early 1800s. After mm-hmm. it, after it beat the um, after it after it won the Seven Years' War, it became the dominant power mm-hmm. in Europe, um, and it maintained that that maritime empire through its navy and military. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you have the the two empires that he's talking about, right? Both having very different military outcomes. But still having people volunteer right. to f- to f- to f- um, to fight mm-hmm. with or without some semblance of public education. Right. So I think right. there's something else driving mm-hmm. th- um, them to become cogs in the wheel of the nation. Right. Also, his timeline doesn't match up with where nationalism starts to emerge within Europe. Mm-hmm. The early 1800s is a bit early, mm-hmm. especially since Prussia is still at this time at that time is still a mon- is still a monarchy uh-huh. they had just won their ind- they had just within the last half century won their independent kind of became independent from the holy roman empire mm-hmm. um were just now forming their own state they weren't quite yet a unified germany that would come another half century that was still another half century in the making right and <clears throat> britain was a constitutional monarchy so the people in britain st- had a little bit more say in how their government was was ran Mm -hmm. and i think here's where it starts to really touch on it in social psychology um well especially in uh, social psychology they 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 argue that people in democracies are willing to fight harder Mm -hmm. than people under people under monarchies right because they have an investment there Uh it's a bunch of in-group it's an in-group dynamic um, they feel more invested, therefore they're willing to fight. Democracies are slower to go to war, but once they go to war, they fight it to its, you know, almost complete totality. Mm-hmm. Um, to its, you know, to its, you know, more of its conclusion, they're actually they're more willing to to punish their um, their adversaries after the war is over um, because they take such an invested invested role in in that. 
so really, I don't think what could have caused Prussia's lack of wanting to mm-hmm. fight has more to do with the fact that with it's more of its institution. I guess here, this is where my political science right. kind of um, training comes in. I'm uh-huh. looking. I'm looking at it as you can look at it more as a structure of the government right. and people how they view themselves within that institution in terms of their willingness to fight for that nation. It doesn't, and it wasn't really even a nation at that point. There was no like national um, Prussian identity mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. we would see like loyalty to the United States as I would identify as an American. There really wasn't yeah. that there wasn't a, there was a loyalty to the crown, but there wasn't no identity to the, to the nation and to the state, so to speak. So how could, to his point that they all just, you know, they needed people to sacrifice themselves to be cogs in the wheel. Right. There, there just wasn't that basis for mm-hmm. for nationalism at that time in Europe. So you you mentioned that um, that you think or that or at, yeah I think that you're saying that you think that democracy played a factor in that national identity and that participating in the government, being a part of those institutions, being a part of those systems, kind of uh, reinforced. Um, I mean, not even reinforce it, gave them a sense to care about what happened to their state. Yeah. Right? I, I would, I, I say that's probably a component, right. even though Britain's not a, wasn't a true democracy, mm-hmm. really a true democracy at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, but it was a constitutional monarchy. There was a parliament. Mm-hmm. People had more mm-hmm. of a say in the government of, of Britain um, than they did in Prussia, where there was a, there was a absolute monarchy. Yeah. And, you know, what he said went. Yeah. What Frederick the Third said yeah. was what well, that was going to happen. That being said, there was still people who were loyal to him, but they had to enlist, you know, more of more that comp- to supplement mm-hmm. that they needed. There was they needed that compulsory um, uh, draft mm-hmm. to bring people into mm-hmm. to, to fight. So what I did when I was kind of looking into this is I took, um, believe it or not, I took a a, a, a social approach. Okay. Yeah. Who saw that coming? A surprise. Um, but I think you'll appreciate that I looked. Um, I used uh, Dr. James Russell's book, uh, The Double Standard. Okay. And he talks about public education systems in there, and um, he he says that um, I think the main points of the 19th century that he uses um, uh, to show um, kind of the reasons for. Uh, required education was um he talks about uh child labor okay and in industry and kind of how there was a shift against that and um that public schools would provide a place um to protect the children from being economically exploited i think is what he what he says in his book um and uh he also says that because of the industrialization and um and urbanization that you know most um societies required a literary labor force and a force that had other skills Mm -hmm. so you know a public education system would provide those things um so he does in in his book he does also note kind of what we were talking about the civics and how um it was to um better equip to understand defend and perpetuate national identities and interests um but that also includes uh, democratic decision making. Sure. Um, but I mean, 
I think you could say if you believe in a, a free and fair democracy. Mm-hmm. Because I think I think that's where a lot of people are coming from when they're talking about when they use terms like brainwashing, that they're again referring to that kind of deep state. Um, and he also argues one last point. He also argues that the required education system promotes equality of opportunity, um, which I think is an interesting aspect of yeah, that public is in- education. That is interesting. Um, because I don't, I mean, I, I think there are absolutely flaws with the education system, um, public education system. Oh, definitely. I didn't make it through. We talked about how my advice was, mm, you should probably get your GED. Um, now, obviously, like I said last time, that is, I, there is, it's my fault, um, but it doesn't work for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you, what do you think? What do I think about? I mean, just kind of Russell's points Russell's as far points. as like the social the social reasonings for for public education. Um, I, I bring those up because uh, you know the argument is that this public education is to um, reinforce nationalism and to support the government and all the decisions that they make, mm-hmm. but. Russell's arguing that in the 19th century, there were very social reasons to have a public education system outside of the government and outside of, you know, wars and decision making. It was for the betterment of the people. Yeah, I would I would I would agree with that. Um, I think you you see massive spikes in literacy, but then also Mm -hmm. huge spikes in um, civic engagement Mm -hmm. um, throughout the throughout the 20th century. Mm -hmm. And you see marginalized groups um, fighting to become a part of that public education system. And if they didn't see the value in it, then why would they why would they fight to be, you know, included in those institutions? And also, I mean, for those, those states and systems who suppressed people Mm -hmm. from getting that education, there's obviously a value in getting that education. So preventing them from getting that education kind of validates that there's more than just inherently in it. Yeah. You would say that there, there's something, um, there's something worth that you, there's something that you acquire Mm -hmm. from that. And from that, that is obviously worth Mm -hmm. attaining. And, um, so you're either limiting it or fighting for it, um, shows that, you know, intrinsically, that public education system does offer a, bene- a net benefit right. to society or into the individual as a whole. Mm-hmm. I think when you have you have people who understand their role in a society, especially mm-hmm. in a democratic society, yeah. I think um, they feel more invested. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I think I mean we we did touch on on that. Both you and I, I think coming from two different standpoints, both touched on how society as a whole you know benefits when you have people who view themselves as um, contributing to something greater. Yes. And I think public education system does, um, does foster that. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, the, the not completely discredit Dave Smith's point can be used in, right. can, you know, can turn people towards the dark side right. and in brain and quote unquote brainwash people. Um, but it can also be used for so much good too. Right. And I think you, that's why in a democratic society, our main job as a citizen is to be watchers of the watchers. Mm-hmm. We we there make sure our elected officials are maintaining our principles, our values, our morals um, through these institutions. And if mm-hmm. they're not, we we do what our civic duty is: is to vote them out, right. vote in administration, vote in, in an administration, or um, 
in, in, in vote to enact laws that are in that are um, in line with with those uh, values. I think it's just good to have these conversations um, because with the case and I'll post the Dave Smith um, video on our Facebook and um, maybe uh, a link on our Instagram just so people have context of what we're talking about. I think it's a good idea. Um, but Dave's Dave Smith's um, his video and his point resonates with people. And I don't think that you and I are going to come up with a solution, but I think that, I mean, it's only what, like a three or four minute video, five minutes, maybe, maybe even longer. It's about seven minutes. Seven minutes. Um, and in, in a podcast, obviously, we're not giving context to everything. Um, and so maybe that's, you know, maybe we're faulting him for not giving entire context. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that his point is absolutely that public education is brainwashing. And for me, I hate absolutism. And I will always challenge it, regardless of what you believe. Even if you agree with me, I'm going to try to challenge you to think the other way. Mm-hmm. Um, and you and I have had conversations like that where we've agreed and, and I've tried to say, well, you know, the other side is looking at it like A, B, or C. Um, so I think that that's what we're just trying to do here is just talk about, you know, um, we we both wanted to go into education. Your family is in education. So I think that we, I don't know necessarily if we're biased towards, you know, pro-education, pro-public education systems, but I think that when discussing that, people need to, to look at historical context, but also look at the social aspects and, like you've brought up, the institutional aspects Um the the good that comes from it outside of uh, patriotism. Yeah, you you touch. I, I like your word, your use of the word patriotism, because mm-hmm. um, that can obviously become conflated very quickly with with nationalism. For sure. Um, but yeah. Um, well, our point isn't to disprove or or show somebody's wrong. Well, I, <laughs> I think I was guilty no, of that a little bit. You, you don't think we so? did discuss multiple times that he brought, you know, we do see where he's coming from. And and like I like we said last week, we're not experts on anything. We're not claiming to be experts. But on our platform, for those who listen to us, you know, we, we kind of just want to think critically about things um, and just look at things. That was just one example of a video that somebody sent me. Um, but I also think, you know, with the government today and who's in charge of education, I think there's a lot of contention around education in general. And we just graduated from college, so I think it's, I just thought it was a, it's a good time to talk about education and, and our thoughts on it. Oh, for sure. I mean, how many times do you see on Facebook comment threads, like, um, you know, teachers are, you know, it's the liberal school system. Right. And blaming the liberal school system for, you know, for kids who have differing opinions. And they say, well, that's just those kids being, you know, brainwashed. Right. And yeah, you're right. There is so much. There seems to be such a pushback against institutionalized education. Right. Right now in our society. And yeah. And it, I I, I think hopefully this discussion um, kind of furthers that. Furthers the debate a little bit. For sure. Yes, I like that. I like that a lot. And even to you know, if you want to comment on our 
Instagram or Twitter or Facebook about what you guys think. That'd be rad. Yeah, let um, us know what you think. I um, would love to hear your guys' uh, your guys's thoughts. Yeah, you're a little dangerous in comment sections, though. I'll be okay. You'll be nice. I'll be nice. Okay. Um, so one thing, you know, that's our education spiel. Um, I don't really have anything more to say on that. I think, uh, yeah, I think we've kind of um, wrapped it up. Right. Nicely. So one, one, one thing I wanted to kind of turn um, into a little lighter topic. I love just busting your balls on this podcast. So get used to it. Oh, I'm totally fine with that. <laughs> uh, you know, me, you, and Matt, we're going to get Matt on this podcast so you guys can... I've been bugging him. Have you? Yeah. Excellent. I know. I've been Good. bugging him because he, he finally downloaded Pokemon Go. Mm-hmm. So him and I have been playing a little bit. Oh, so gosh. I keep bugging him to come on. Uh, side note, I had to delete that app because it was so distracting when I was in the library trying to research and mm-hmm. just... There's a pokey stop right there. Oh, yeah. Just constantly trying to get pokeballs, mm-hmm. and I was just like, I have to. And now they have so many different like little side things you can do. Really? Yeah. Like, had to stop. Yeah. It it it'll consume your life. I mean, but now that I'm graduated, maybe maybe I could crush it. It's pretty Anyways, cool, man. Yeah. So we got to get Matt on here. Um, I think you guys will enjoy him. He he adds a kind of a third dynamic, um, to 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 our relationship and our friendship. And I I think he he's super smart. He brings a lot of different perspectives that maybe Jake and I don't think about. Um, but we had a discussion <laughs> one day at school. Uh, we love Star Wars. Um, well, I do. Mm-hmm. To you? I don't have the same love for it as you and Matt. Do. Okay, so Matt, Matt and I adore yeah, Star Matt Wars. And we asked Jake um, whether or not he thought he was the Empire or uh, the, Rebellion. the Rebellion. Yeah. And your your initial response was that you were part of the rebellion. Yeah. So <laughs> I think all of us. I think part of being American, you know, American, is that this country was born in rebellion, mm-hmm. and that just kind of honestly, that's part of our culture, right? And so I think you want to see yourself as like the re- the rebellion, fighting for liberty, or fighting for freedom, mm-hmm. um, fighting from you know against the oppressive government. But then I started taking political science and you start reading, you know, some classic philosophers on the, on the role of government, mm-hmm. um, you know, Hobbes mm-hmm. and, um, you contrast, you know, kind of not really contrasting, but you're reading John Locke along with it and you start to see, well, you know, having that Leviathan, which is the empire, mm-hmm. Leviathan being like a centralized government, a, you know, a government that takes away anarchy. Right. So there's no more, you know, there's, you don't have this uncertainty of, having to worry about am i going to be attacked by my fellow person because you know by my neighbor my neighbor's not going to come over and steal my crap Mm -hmm. because there's laws preventing that and the laws are given weight because i have there's a government that enforces those laws and you know keeps in you know keeps me safe from the um kind of what hobbes would describe as the natural man i don't think there is a natural you know human um i don't think there is a a human nature, like a universal human nature. Right. We don't have to get into this. We're not going to get into this topic. I always bring, I, I need to stop bringing Here this we back. Go. But so seeing the, what the, you know, you start to hear um, what different, uh, especially throughout the original, the, the first three, well, episodes four, five, and six. Yeah. And they start saying about um, what the, what the empire is trying to do. And you right. start, you start to see on a theoretical level, you know, you're the empire. They're not necessarily. They're not that wrong. 
Yeah. In certain aspects. Yeah. Right? Well, they, they're going about it the wrong way. Yeah. But then you got to ask yourself, is that just... Na- the power is that just the nature of power right do do people yeah. in power are they going to are they go is, does power drive that kind of behavior yeah so is, is it inherent in the acquisition of power mm-hmm. that you're going to act like the empire does in star wars right so then i started thinking well i don't want to be the empire yeah but i would if i was in this universe I'd definitely probably yeah. be a, I'd be a stormtrooper. Yeah, we concluded you're definitely part of the empire. Yeah. Empire. Um so uh just another topic. Um have you been watching the NBA finals? Yeah. And I I mean, well, how much more can you can you just say that how many more different ways can I say that the NBA needs to fix its playoff structure? Yeah. You think so? Yeah. Okay. Uh Jen's cousin CJ, he's argued a lot you know, that the, the structure needs to change. Um, why do you think that, though? Because no one's going to beat Golden State in a seven-game series. Yeah. Houston came the closest, and if Chris Paul doesn't get hurt, it's definitely plausible that Houston For wins sure. that series. For sure. Because Golden State is flawed in its depth, and if Steph Curry and Kevin Durant are forcing up bad shots with no ball movement, mm-hmm. they're very beatable. Especially when the rosters kind of get shrunk down to really a rot- you know, the rotations get shrunk down to really only seven guys. Yeah. So it you're playing best on best, and if the Golden State's bests aren't playing necessarily great, yeah, you can they're beatable for sure. But it's darn near impossible. Yeah. It's did you watch impossible. last night? I did. I watched the first half. Uh-huh. First um, half was good. Was very good. Yeah. There's been two good games in this series. What game was that? Game one, three, one and three. Game three, right? Yeah. Yeah. And game one was very compelling, yeah. too. But it's just, it's, it was, <laughs> this salary cap situation in the NBA was supposed to keep teams from being able to do this. Mm-hmm. But they're finding ways, ar- they're finding ways around it. Right. And team, like, you can't, you, I mean, I don't, I don't blame the league for not anticipating players going against their ec- own economic self-interest mm-hmm. and taking less money to win. For sure. Like Kevin Durant did, right. even though he's making quite a bit of money, but he is taking somewhat of a discount. He says he's going to take a discount. Same Again? with Same with Clay Thompson. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I know Clay. Um, so, I mean, how do you account? You can't really account for that. Right. But the, so the only way you can is to try to restructure the playoffs in some mm. way to make this more of a competitive yeah. balance. Because if you're a team like Portland, you're a team like Milwaukee, team like Toronto, yeah, you're not getting you're yeah. not getting through LeBron in seven games. No. You're not getting through Steph no. and Clay and Durant in seven games. That's what's so fascinating about the and um, the NFL playoffs is that any given Sunday someone can win. Right. And obviously you don't want an eighty two game season that being said, you don't want an eighty two game season defined you know defined in one game. Right. But I think for it, sure. But I think you you need to find some sort of other balance. Maybe matchup change the way it's matched up. So maybe instead of the top of the east and the top of the west, maybe mm-hmm. just the top. Sure. Yeah. I think another way you could do it is um, follow more of the baseball model. Mm-hmm. Nobody watches baseball. Okay. <laughs> well, in the first <laughs> round, you have a five-game series. 
And that's not necessarily oh, okay. fair okay. to the first and the not number one and number two seeds in the NBA because yeah. you work so hard to get to that mm-hmm. to be knocked off in a five maybe end up being knocked off in a five game series yeah. by the seven or eight seed just if you know if they get hot yeah you end up getting like a San Antonio situation if they had gotten Kawhi imagine if they gotten Kawhi Leonard back for the playoffs yeah. they're a seven seed playing the two seed that's not a seven seed. Right. Like, by any means, no. they just happen to be there because of the whole Kyle Leonard situation right. and, Le- and LaMarcus being hurt at different times. Mm-hmm. Um, but what if you did, like, so the first two, you kind of combine the NFL and the in the MLB playoffs, and you have the first two seeds get first-round buys, buys mm-hmm. and then oh. everybody else plays each other in a five-game series. Uh-huh. So that the the the, uh, the three play would play the... The eight, or you structure that however you have to yeah. to give those first two buys. Everybody else plays each other in a five game series. Because if you're a Portland fan, right? Yeah, I would. If we had gotten out of the first round series and lost in the second round, I would have. I would have a much different feeling about this season yeah. than I do right now. Definitely. And so I think giving, the, especially the seventh and eighth seeds, mm-hmm. a legit chance of actually getting out yeah. of the first round creates for such a more compelling for sure. playoffs. For even sure. if it, even if ultimately the outcome is the same, Golden State winning championships. Yeah. Because honestly, throughout the entire NBA history, you've had dynasties. Yeah. It's just, it's just marked by Celtics, Lakers, yeah. Bulls. And every once in a while, you get the Pistons sprinkled in there, and then San Antonio, and yeah. now Golden the Lakers again, and then you know, Golden State. Yeah. So. But yeah, that's kind of my layman take on that's it. That's not so. On baseball, do they go from a five and then to seven? Yeah. Oh, okay. They do five in the first round, seven, seven. Ugh, crazy. Um, do you see what LeBron said about Kevin Durant? He's, oh, I, he's, said, I sent it to you. I know. I saw it. He's sucking up to KD because he wants to go play in Golden State. No way. Yes, he does. There's no way He's meeting happens. with they, – they said the meeting's happening. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. I heard it on Coward today. Chris Broussard was uh, – Chris Broussard's an idiot. Chris Broussard is an idiot, but they were reporting <laughs> – both of them were reporting that uh, LeBron has agreed to meet with Golden State. I I'm done if that happens. I'll never watch another game. I don't think he signs there. No, me neither. Only because, A, that would destroy his brand. Like, what, sure. what would that make him look like? Ugh. And, B, this Gold, Golden State doesn't need him. No. And, and that waters down their own rings right. by bringing him in. Yeah. So I, they, there's no reason for either side well, to like actually that. do waters this. Waters down their own rings. I like that. Um, because any, any ring that they won with LeBron, mm-hmm. everybody from here to the end of human history is going to, <laughs> at least as long as basketball is right. around, is going to look at that and think like those rings, if there's any rings in this entire, in the entire NBA that don't count, yeah. it'd be those rings. Oof. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Did you see Jefferson said Portland? Yeah. yeah. Okay, he was playing. My, yeah, but, I, I know. But I've, that gets every, I mean, those who don't, who haven't watched the video, the entire video of Richard Jefferson saying that he might come to Portland, they're just like, oh my gosh, he might come to Portland. Well, no, watch the video. He's not coming He's to Portland. Joking. He's joking. He said, if I were to take a shot in the dark, randomly, founded and based on no information whatsoever, maybe he'd go to Portland because Nike's there. He's not coming here, but no. but that gets I mean that gets people talking and bum. Oh, did you see Mike Barrett and what Mike Barrett's doing? The baseball, yeah, baseball to Portland, yeah, bringing I've been baseball follow- to Portland. Been following that pretty closely. Yeah, yeah, I think it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. It, well, Russell Wilson and Sierra are are on board and they're helping that. Yeah, I mean that helps from a public 
diplomacy. Yeah, like for sure. selling it to the public. Monetarily, they're not going to be very big players. Yeah, but um, every little bit helps when you're trying yeah. to bring that into a city that whose management, whose the government, the city government itself has been less than like stellar about like on it. Sports. Um, no, bringing baseball. bringing baseball yeah. in. Well, bringing sp- additional sports in yeah. in general. Um, they're they're concerned about public public money, which I understand. Like, um, yeah. you don't you don't want um, already a city with very high taxes to be taxed even more to pay for to pay for that. And I understand their concern. Yeah. But from everything Mike Barrett has been the the little that we know uh-huh. about this baseball to Portland. Yeah. Um, the Portland Diamond Project, which mm-hmm. is like the name of the mm-hmm. of the lobbying firm uh, that they set up, is that they're going to be able to fully fund the stadium with private dollars. Wow! And if that's the case, yeah, then there's no reason why it shouldn't happen. Wow! Because um, Man uh, Manfred, the uh, commissioner of ML- the MLB, mm-hmm. has been fa- has been vocal about getting a team to Portland. Wow. Um, not actively out there lobbying for it, but he said yeah. that, like when we expand, I think Portland would be an attractive city. Interesting. The problem is, is you get in the thing you get into is uh, TV deals. That's where teams make their money now. Right. It's just a TV deal. So okay. where's where's the market? Which is why I would say it would be more of an expansion. Expansion would be worse than mm-hmm. relocation. Oh. In terms of profitability. Okay. If you can get a team like the Oakland A's, which are having a uh, a stadium dispute with yeah. the city of Oakland. Oakland doesn't want to give public money to a new stadium. Yeah. So the A's have been threatening to leave. If you pull the A's out of Northern California, yeah. th- you're not competing with that with that market. You have mm-hmm. a lot of Californians moving up here. Mm-hmm. Probably were grew up A's fans. Oh yeah. So there's there's definitely a more of a draw there and you're not adding to an already comp- competitive market. Right. Because there hasn't been Portland here uh, baseball here in Portland ever. Right. So people major either league. major league yeah. have, have ever. So people, if you're a baseball fan in Portland, you've either gravitated towards the Mariners, which right. that, that allegiance is probably not going to change. Even right. if you got a team to Portland for sure. Or you've adopted like myself teams from the East coast. Right. Or, you know, other teams that are kind of on our periphery, like the Rockies or, or like the, the A's or the giants or something like that. Or yeah, you follow the hops, which are they the pickles now. No, the hops are the the pickles are a non-affiliated oh, okay. uh, team. The, okay. The hops, the Hillbrow hops, know. are a um, low A affiliate of the Diamondbacks organization. Oh, okay, okay. So the part, but it's part of the Diamondbacks farm system. For sure. Interesting. So I I think that if I were to say what is the best case scenario is that they get an ex- they get a, a relocation relocation. Team. Okay. But what what will probably happen is an expansion club. Hmm. Which I think would be very difficult to sell because you would be trying to, if it worked like what's going on with the um, Los Angeles, the Golden, the Las Vegas Golden Knights right yeah. now in hockey, yeah. like that's, that's the best case scenario. You, right. s- you start a, um, an expansion team and the first season you're in the NHL, yeah. like you're in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Right. You're in the stand, you're in the championship series, yeah. Versus like that's just not likely in baseball because you have to develop a farm club. You've got yeah. it. It takes so long to get prospects through mm-hmm. the minors to the show, mm-hmm. and it would take a long time for that team to be competitive. For sure, a long time. That'd be interesting. I'd probably go to a game. Then you got to figure out how you're going. Where you're going to locate your farm clubs? Yeah, 
you're going to have to figure out, okay, that's going to be three to Ugh. four. That's going to be three to four new minor league teams. Sounds you're going like to, like, mess. you're going to have to, you know, fund. Yeah. So, I mean, it's going to be, it's, um, I, an expansion would be very difficult, well, but I'm probably the most likely. Yeah. I'm always okay with just soccer and, and basketball. That is a, it is interesting about Portland. Like Portland's not a huge sports city, right? But people who don't necessarily care for sports still love their Blazers and Timbers. Oh yeah. There's a lot of like kind of like hipster guys mm-hmm. that just are not sports, right? Guys, right? But love their Blazers oh, because it's part yeah. of the city. Right. They love their Timbers because it's part. I mean, they like soccer, right? But they really love their Timbers because right. it's a part of the city. But really, that my point is more towards the Blazers, right? Not necessarily basketball guys or necessarily really sports guys in general, but rip city right. right it's part of that right. portland you know culture so but oh, i mean I, w- I will say that like even though they're not sports guys when it comes to that team mm-hmm. they know it oh yeah I-, I think that blazer fans are s- generally smart yeah i mean you w- you you hear that you watch them during games and they're catching things you know when the ref botches a call they know it which is why they loved mike rice so much right yeah watch oh. I don't know. R.I.P. Oh. Mike and Mike. He's not dead. <laughs> <laughs> the show. Yeah, the show's dead. dead. Mike and Mike. Mike. We miss them and love them always. Um, well, dude, uh, I think I think that's it yeah, for it, our second episode. I think that was a good episode. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening, everybody. And um, remember, catch us every Thursday on iTunes and Stitcher. And please like, share, and subscribe our social media pages to get us out there. Any little bit helps. Um, share with your friends, your family. Um, if you don't like us, share us with people you don't like. Because, you know, anyway, clicks are clicks. <laughs> so we'll take it either way. And maybe they'll like us. Um, and, you know, write us. We have an email set up through our Instagram. Um, and just hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. And let's talk. Uh, thanks for listening. Thank you.